And I'm Clayton. And I'm your romance novel veteran. And I'm the virgin. And we're your hosts. Hi, guys. Hello. <laughs> so we thought, you know, it's high summer. We Everyone's hot. Everyone's by the pool. Hopefully. Or we're all cramped in our apartments. You know, Everybody's by a kiddie pool. A kiddie pool <laughs> that they filled up. And oh. uh, have their feet in a kitty litter box. Not a dirty one. Not a dirty one. <laughs> Like fresh litter so you can just throw it away after you put your feet in it. Oh, yeah. It's a little life hack so for do- everybody. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you're doing the best that you can with what you have, and it's very hot outside. We decided to read a book that was mentioned to us during the live episode um, by Sarah McLean, all about how to write sex scenes. So this week we read I Give You My Body, How I Write Sex Scenes by Diana Gabaldon. Who is not a romance author, right? She Here's does the not... controversy with yes, Miss Please Gabaldon. lay this out for me. So she writes Outlander, which is a romance because there is a central character. There's a central love story and there's a happily ever after at the end of that book. Um, it is very long. It is very dense with other things, but like that is a a romance. Um, so when her publisher said, this is a romance, we're going to market it as a romance. She said no. And she wanted to be taken seriously as a serious author. And she wanted to, she hated the idea. Then apparently as she tells it, her publisher came to her and was like, well, here's how much money we think you could make if we market this as a romance and here's how much money we can make if we market this as historical fiction and the romance was so much more because obviously you know romance sells so much more uh so she said okay fine so the first printing of outlander she allowed to be categorized as romance then she got a bee in her bonnet about it and decided no more and subsequently has like demanded like Barnes and Noble and other big booksellers to only to categorize it as a historical fiction and really bristles if you ever mention it being a romance. So as so, she will probably not listen to this podcast as we are romance fans and she would never deign herself to allow <laughs> to be categorized with us in this genre. So, so uh- us doing this book is is this controversial for our fan base controversial i don't think so well is it i mean is it Unless one of those I'm really things... misjudging something i mean it's possible that i'm blind to something and it is controversial well isn't el james also looked down upon by the romance community i mean i think the thing is the reason that the romance community and obviously is vast and wide and full of a lot of people. And so not that I want to speak for the whole community because there are people who love 50 shades of gray. The issue that I see with 50 shades of gray is to pass judge. It is not a particularly well-written book. So I think what is frustrating for people is people hear about romance and people even hear about like BDSM romance or those sort of things. And they're like, Oh, 50 shades of gray. And it's like, if you're like, um, Oh, I like movies and people are like, Oh, like car 54. And you're like, well, no, that's a bad movie. 
I like good movies, you know? You know, it's fine, and it's fine to have, you know, obviously romance like every other genre on earth. There are writers that are not very good or writers that are just sort of in for a cash grab, and then there are writers who are very good and, and working on a very, like, high craft level and everything in between. Yeah, so, I mean, that's why I feel like if we were to review Grey or one of those books by E.L. James, right? Because Grey, isn't that the retelling isn't that like she did another series that was kind of like a retelling from a different point of view? Yeah. Like if we were to read that book, it would be maybe controversial for our our fan base. Right. Where I think it's like that's not really what we never intentionally read a book thinking we're really going to hate this and now let's rip this apart. It's just like energetically, I think, not where we're at. And it's like. You know, we end up reading books and not liking them and then, you know, speaking negatively about them. But I don't think we would never do that on purpose. And I feel like that's sort of what it is. But then there are people who read Fifty Shades of Grey and really loved it. And people who read her newest book and really loved that, too. And that's totally fine. It's subjective. Yeah. But it's, I think from my perspective, I think I am very adverse to or shy away from just out of hand saying E.L. James, no, because as a guest and someone without the the kind of preconceived notion of what is cool and what's not cool, I would find it interesting to read an E.L. James because I have no knowledge of it other than the fact that it is being shit on. And that's the thing with Outlander. You know, you've read you read Outlander and you liked it, correct? Oh, yeah, like, I'm a big fan of the series, the the TV series. I've read uh, the first four or five books. I've read up to The Fiery Cross. So, like, I like the Outlander books. And obviously, I like Diana Gabaldon as a writer in general. Like, I, she's not perfect, obviously, but nobody's perfect. Um, so this isn't coming from me of a place of, like, she writes trash, these books are bad. I think categorically, they're not bad. They're not for everybody, but I, and I did enjoy them and like kept reading onto the series. Um, but I don't appreciate sort of anytime that someone is just like, I'm too good for this genre. Or I feel like, especially within this book, she, she says certain things and writes in a certain way that is, I, I don't love as far as, um, you know, the way that she treats romance. And I think, um, but I do think it's possible to like a, book or like the art that someone creates and have a problem with the artist themselves okay yeah and i the thing with me is i i don't like throwing stones because because for me again as a guest as a virgin those kind of things i don't want to be throwing my weight around it and 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 piling on somebody but what i will say is that if this if this person is bullying my f- friends I am very much a person of the enemy of my friend is my enemy. So mm-hmm. I do feel comfortable in if if somebody is maligning the people I care about, then I I am able to speak up about it. Yeah. I mean, you're always looking for enemies. You love I, a good enemy. Yes. I've got enough friends. It's <laughs> all about the enemies list because you will be remembered for your enemies more than you will be remembered for your friends. And the more powerful those enemies are, the more 
powerful you appear. Mm. As long as they know that you exist. They have to know you exist. You can't just be, I mean, this is what the Prince of, of Broadway, that's a, a very Clayton situation where he w- had such a huge axe to grind and the person he was grinding that axe for barely remembered him. Yeah. And that's kind of my life. But <laughs> you were upset by how I close mean, that character. Listen to that episode, which is the Prince of Broadway by Joanna Shoup. You were upset. One, that your the hero with your name was not more like Derek Craven, which fine. But then you I think you were upset by how much he was like you. He was as petty as me. <laughs> and I didn't like it. It's a bad look for both of us. Yeah, I just think that's funny that you're like, he's not enough about like this person that I'm obsessed with. And he's too much like me. Yes, there's no fantasy in that. (laughs) There's no fantasy in that. But anyway, that's still a great book. Obviously, that was a really fun and great book. But let's talk about this book. So this book, here's here's my positive about this book. And something that I like about Diana Gabaldon is she I've never met an author or a creator or an artist who is more has more confidence in their own abilities and their own uh, creative process in their art than Diana does. Diana really thinks that everything she writes is the best and how everyone should be doing it. And especially her being a woman, I do have to applaud that because I think that's fantastic. You should feel that way, you know? Yeah, this, I mean these books have sold a ton and I and I'm happy I'm happy that she's self-congratulatory. I like it. Yeah, and we can't so we're not going to do the normal kind of there you didn't do goodreads or anything for this, right? Cuz it's not No, or I did mean, you? I'd even even look. I'm sure it's on it has to be on some list. Maybe I'll look it up. Yeah, well, I mean this is just kind of a free-flowing. I mean, we can judge the cover, but the cover just at least the version I had was just words. <laughs> Right. It just. Yeah, it, I think no- there's good. We're we're throwing out. Listen, we're throwing out all of our um. Uh, all of our categories and all of our normal segments. I think we're just going to talk about this book and then we're going to say goodbye. <laughs> so. But I will say the thing about this, and I think I might. I don't want to speak for you, but I get. I I have an inkling that books about writing are catnip for us. Mm-hmm. The fact that this is a book about writing i was down for it no matter what i will read books about writing from authors i don't like just because i find the process to be fascinating and you can always learn even from people that you don't think are necessarily great or you're not necessarily a fan of oh yeah i mean the process of writing is interesting and it is the thing i want to talk about the most yes and i you know on Writing by Stephen King, great book, Bird mm-hmm. by Bird, obviously uh, a, a great a great book. We could have an offshoot podcast that is just us reviewing books about writing. Reading about writing. Yeah. I mean, Reading listen. Reading and talking about writing. Patreon. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't think that... We, uh... I don't have the energy for a Patreon. <laughs> and also nobody would pay for that. They, they'd be like, that's what we want for free. Exactly. Like, yeah, that's the thing, too, because we've talked about doing a Patreon like off and on. 
And I'm like, I just don't think that we are able to do anything that is worth someone paying for, (laughs) frankly. Well, I mean, but here's the thing. That's you got to be like Diana Gabaldine. And you got to say to yourself, everything I do is worth being paid for. I do wit like yeah. If nothing else, if everyone could just try being a little bit more like Diana Gabaldon, we're just thinking everything you do is fantastic. I think it'd be a better place. I I am not one for false humility. This episode of Learning the Tropes is brought to you by Candlewick Press, publisher of The Mermaid, The Witch, and The Sea, the new YA fantasy novel by Maggie Takuda Hall. In a world divided by colonialism and threaded with magic, a desperate orphan turned pirate and a rebellious imperial lady find a connection on the high seas. Maggie Takuda Hall's sweeping fantasy debut, full of stolen memories, illicit mermaid's blood, double agents, and haunting mythical creatures, conjures an extraordinary cast of characters and the unforgettable story of a couple striving to stay together in the face of myriad forces wishing to control their identities and their destinies. This book has everything you would need. It's got pirates, mermaids, witchcraft, and folkloric themes, and also has two strong queer BIPOC protagonists. It's received much critical acclaim, most recently on NPR Roundup. The Mermaid, The Witch, and the Sea by Maggie Takuda Hall and published by Candlewick Press is available now wherever books are sold. Let's just talk about what this book is about. It it is her talking about how she writes her sex scenes because my expectation with this book is that she would use samples of writing from people other than herself. She does not. Well, she does. She has one poem that she uh, puts in there that's by somebody else, but all the other samples of how to write. And I guess that's, the t- I should have known that the title is how I write a sex scene. Mm-hmm. So I should have assumed that, but like you said, it is a very egotistical thing to break down the brilliance of her writing in this book. I yeah. wanted different samples. I wanted this to be, here's an author that I really love that does this really well. And here's an author that I really love that does this really well. And it really is just like this. I do everything. Well, exactly. This book could be this instead of how I write sex scenes. It could be, I do everything the way it should be done. Yeah. Which yeah. Well, there's one sex scene, the one about like the man talking about women's jewelry that she didn't write. That's right. And I really like that one. And here's the thing that, so Diana's first book was Outlander, which is crazy to think of because that she got her first book published, that it was as big a hit as it is, that has been continuously in print for like 30 years. Like those are all big things that don't happen to most of the time. And it's and, a huge series. Like it started, it's a huge series. it became a huge television series, what, 25 years after its publication? Yeah. And that like the the series gets greenlit for two and three seasons at a time because like on the strength of the books. So us talking about Diana being egotistical, it's not that it's not earned. It's earned. But I think you don't see this blatant it this blatant that often, which I do think we should see more often. (laughs) It's not a negative. It is funny because it is rare. But also that Diana 
has only ever written within this one universe she's created. She only re- writes within the Outlander universe. So she's only ever written Outlander books or Outlander offshoot books. So she's never written anything else, which I do think is funny. So basically all of the sections she talks about are basically between her main couple. So it's Jamie, who's a Scottish man in the 1700s, and Claire, who's a time traveler from the 1940s. And it's just funny that you don't write any variety ever, but you're still like, mm, every way to write a sex scene can be encompassed in my books with <laughs> within this one universe. Which does you know? not does not really make sense because there are certain things you can't do that you could do in a contemporary that you can't do in a historical. Yeah. I I feel like, and I'll be honest with you. I was not a big, I mean, I guess maybe it's because they were chunks taken out of narratives that I just had no clue what was like the relationships that much. I was not a fan of these, uh, these sections at least like the language the way the character spoke and things i i did not really enjoy it all that much yeah but i do think that is something that she mentions in the book like she does give advice that i do think is good advice oh absolutely you know she talks about how it's important that the characters are always that sex is always moving things forward and that the sex scenes have to exist in a world where it could only be these two people having this experience. That was true. That is so true. And it's, I, I believe that she says that within the first chapter of the book. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if you take anything, I would say you don't have to read this book at we all. got you. Yeah. Yeah. That is, if you are, out there listening to this podcast and you are a somebody who wants to write romance i would say that is one of the biggest keys to writing a good romance at least in in my mind because of what we've the books we've read and the books we've liked is that make sure the sex scenes can only happen in this book Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean it's an alien book and this tentacle goes in here uh, because nobody else has ever done that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the relationships, the, yeah, like the setting, the why this is happening and when and all these different things have to be unique. That's what makes a sex scene so powerful and it makes it a good sex scene. So that's kind of... If that's all that you get from this podcast or this book, that might be enough. That's huge. Because I do think the times that I've read a romance where I've been bored by the sex scenes or skipped the sex scenes, it is when they have nothing to do with the characters or movie things forward. It's more like, and now they have sex, which is just boring. So I think like you reading these passages, not knowing their story, not knowing who they are, not knowing all the intricacies of their relationship. It's like, yeah, I get that they fall flat for you because I think that they would. And having read most of the books that are referenced in the book, in this book, I think it's, I remember, like I know more about where they were in this situation and who they are and who they are as characters. And um, so I did think some of these sex scenes were very good. And I think some, whatever word but um 
there's one scene that is like Jamie uh, talking about a penis injection. Yeah, that's confusing. I didn't yeah. read that book. I uh, like so what? I was like, what the fuck am I reading here? Like, why am I reading about something being injected into a penis? Not that. Listen, I know that that's something that happens, and I'm not against penis injections as a trope. But it just felt like you had no other. I mean, that's where getting a segment from a different author could have been a better play. Right. Where I think that she falls in this is that it's like if you refuse to categorize your books as romance and you don't read romance and you don't have respect for the genre of romance, then, you know, to be general, like romance is where the best sex scenes lives. Romance is where authors who have spent the time thinking about sex and write explicit sex, like that's where they are. So if you're going to say this is how you write sex scenes, but you don't write the genre that does it the best, you know, it's like, I'm going to write a murder mystery, but I'm not going to about how to write a great murder mystery, but I'm not going to read any mystery books. Cause like we all know those are all trash and smut. So, you know, just based on cribbing from books that aren't really about murder mystery, here's how you write a murder mystery. And it's sort of like, well, yeah, you're kind of missing like everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, she, she is writing about writing sex in a very specific milieu, which is romance because she is romance. Correct. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's a how to for a genre by an author who doesn't want to be categorized as that genre. She even goes to so far as to talk about her friend who writes historical romance, even though she hates historical romance. And I'm like, I wish we knew who this person was because I'm sure she writes trash. Like, I'm sure her books are not good. Well, is that the same? Is that the same person who? No, is that? No, it's a different person who she says loves writing, but uh, historicals, but doesn't like writing sex. So she had her neighbor, who's a writer, write the sex scenes. But is unpublished. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And I'm like, I would love to know who this is. I'm sure the sex scenes are disconnected. Because also it's like, if you don't want a lot of heat in your book, if you don't want, unless you're writing like very specific category romance, it like then just don't make them as sexy or as sex based. You know what I mean? Like I've read books that I've loved that aren't particularly graphic in their sex scenes or particularly have a ton of sex but I still think are like sexy books and are and I've loved so it's very weird to be like well you need to do it or these like horn dogs are going to be so mad and they won't read your book so put it off to your neighbor but then you're discounting the thesis of this book where you're like it's important the sex scenes are relevant to the story and move things forward and are these characters but also if you don't want to do that just ask your neighbor to write them for you what yeah, it, that make no sense i know and she even said it's like the characters should want to have sex or the circumstances that the characters get in lead to intimacy sometimes there are segments in this book that are not consensual sex mm-hmm. and that is you know when you're writing fiction when you're writing romance there are elements and in, in times when characters do interact in that way but it should be organic it shouldn't be just thrown in there because it's needed or wanted by uh, the publishing house or something like that. And I realized reading this book, and also I recently watched uh, the that movie Palm Springs, 
Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, so that was the movie that's on Hulu right now, and it is a rom-com starring Andy Samberg and Kristen Milotti. I'm probably mm-hmm. saying it wrong. You know, of course, email us uh, about it. Make sure to. But it is a it's Groundhog Day as a explicit rom-com. And I realized how much romance is integral for me to enjoy films, most films, from watching this movie. Because, you know, when, when the characters at one point hold hands, and I'm by myself, I'm watching this movie by myself, I audibly go, aww. And that's my reaction. <laughs> that's my reaction to that stuff always. I, I love it. I can't wait for the holding hands. I can't wait for the time that the two people realize that they're going to be together. That's just something that, that pleases me. So that's why it's so funny that it took me so long to start reading romance because not not I don't need it to be everything that I watch or consume. But most of the time when I really want something to scratch an itch for me, it's that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if, if that's not you, then you shouldn't write romance. But I think that's the thing that, that is frustrating about the Diana Gabaldon of it all is, like, she obviously does. Like, the books she writes are very romantic, and she does write good sex scenes. And I, you know what I mean? Because there are people who just, like, don't like the romance genre just because it's, like, not for them, which is, like, totally fine. It's not for everybody. But... It seems like she would love it, but doesn't want to specifically because she wants to be seen as a serious writer or whatever. Um, So that's what's upsetting, too, because it's like you would like this thing, but you are refusing. You're just looking down on this thing that like would bring you joy otherwise, because I think she would. And I think, you know, it's just a bummer, Um, you know. Yeah. Well, in, I would say, is there anything you want to say about the book in general otherwise? Because the reason why we recommended this book was, well, I think specifically Sarah McLean recommended this book to me because of the list of euphemisms for male and female genitalia. <laughs> yeah. So... I think that's like the meat of this for us, <laughs> if you will. And now I have the list for male genitalia right here. And this, I feel like, was added to this book as a lark because she really at the end just says, don't use any of these, just use cock and penis and member or whatever, right? But there's some in here that I've never heard, and I feel like we need to, I'm going to read these to you, and you rate them by disgust level. Okay, how are we, is it like 1 to 5, 1 to 10? What's bad and what's good? So I would say, if it's disgust level, 5 is the most disgusting. Okay. Three is kind of, I don't feel either way about it. 
and one would be doesn't bother me. Okay. Now you can say I like it, but I don't think the ones I read you're going to like. <laughs> Who knows? Well, let's start with Beaver Basher. Oh god. Is that even real? Has anyone ever called it that? I mean, obviously that's a 5. That's disgusting. And that's the issue. I don't think anybody has ever used Beaver Basher. In any sort of serious way other than, like, just a joke. Like, that's the thing about this list that is strange because it's, like, so... I'm like, is this just anything you could ever imagine somebody would call a penis? Or is this ones that you have seen used? Or, like, where where are these coming from? I mean, one of them is Bob Dole. That's so weird. I've never heard Bob Dole be a euphemism for a penis. That's such a... It's got to be... Because was this book written around the time Bob Dole was running for president? And it's kind of a... A anti-Republican knock on him. Because if anything should be a euphemism for a penis, it should be Bill Clinton. Exactly, yeah. Just because um, he's known for his penis. Ugh. Uh... Okay, cum gun. I mean, are you going to be mad at me if I say three? I mean, I think it's kind of funny. No, I'm not mad at you at all. It, this is, listen, there's no judgment here. Oh my God. Okay, so guess what year this was published. Were we both born? Yes. <laughs> 96. 2016. What? <laughs> No, that can't be. It had August to be republished. 16, 2016. The, no, look up the original publication date. There's no effing way that this is... Because there's no way. Because <laughs> even the cover is so, uh, is, is so old school looking. I mean, the cover is kind of in style with her other things. I don't know. I Googled it. Original published date. I give you my body. August 16th, 2016. That's fucking crazy. That makes this even crazier. I mean, that makes the... Because it's like, frankly, no offense to the Doles. But who really even thinks of Bob Dole? I don't... I don't even know if he's still alive. I'm assuming he's not alive. I'm not sure. <clears throat> yeah. In in okay, so this makes it crazy. This isn't I mean you can I don't I think this is a pretty innocuous one, but disco stick. That's from the Lady Gaga song. It, but that's got to be something that was used before she said it. I don't know. If anyone knows the etymology of disco stick, but all that's all I hear is like I want to take a ride on your disco stick. Yeah, but yes, but I think so that's been used. I'm going to give used... that a one. I'm going to give that I enjoy that because, you know, my love of Lady Gaga is well established at this stage. So <laughs> I have no problem with it. How about heat seeking moisture missile? See, what the fuck? Is Nobody's that? ever said that. Also, the moisture missile, are we saying that the missile itself is lubricated? No, it's it's seeking it moisture. Seeking moisture and heat. But then it would be a moisture-seeking missile. A heat 
seeking moisture missile. So what it should be is like a heat and moisture seeking missile. But that's not but that's not catchy at all. <laughs> it's 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 not heat seeking moisture missile is is so much more uh pithy. Right. So, I mean, I guess if you want to lubricate your dick, that's fine. I'm never going to stop you. That's personal preference. Yes. What so what number? Oh. Four. Four. Okay. What about mayo shooting hot dog gun? That's fine. That's offensive. That's disgusting. So we're Everyone talking... knows the only acceptable topic to topping on a hot dog is mustard, and I won't be hearing anything different. And um, that's disgusting. No, I don't want to think about mayonnaise. And here's a tip for you guys out there. If you're shooting mustard, go see a doctor. <laughs> How about middle stump? Middle stump? I mean, I've seen some stumpies in my day, but... Uh, name names <laughs> i mean i would that's I, I mean that's a three i mean like i'm not particularly either way about it i think it's fine it's weird it's weird but so i don't know th- this is Have a, a little weird... bit more pride in your stump to not call it a stump that's what i say i'm worried about his own uh his feelings towards himself exactly now here's a weird one because it takes into account what we were saying about a previous one Moisture and heat-seeking, venomous, throbbing python of love. At least this is correct for where the moisture is. The python isn't full of moisture itself. Yes. Where do you? You're just being silly. It's not like you would ever have that in a book. You know what I mean? Like what? Like what? I don't understand the point of this list, other than it's just like a bunch of silly euphemisms. But I don't know. The instance in which you would ever even use that. Yes. So what number? Five. I, I hate it. What about an oldie but goodie? PP. Can you imagine if you <laughs> were getting it on with someone, things are going well, everyone's jelly. You're in that like magical moment where like everything is sexy and everything is like heated and the air is charged. And then he says pee pee would anything make you as a woman dry up like the Sahara faster than a man calling his dick a pee pee I couldn't see it but also a woman referring to my penis as a pee pee can you imagine show me your pee pee she's like let me ride that pee pee you'd be like I think we're gonna have to no, but you know, Call here's the it. difference between guys and girls. Oh, you would let it, you would you, have sex. You gotta, it. because who cares? <laughs> when am I ever going to be in this situation again? I don't know. It's just something that later you would be like talking to your friends. and would be like, uh, so is your girlfriend ever called it a pee-pee? Is that something I should be concerned about? Yes. <laughs> Tell me if I'm weird. <laughs> so. Um, yeah. I mean, no, for an adult, no, that's. That's, I mean, for disturbingness of hearing it during sex, I would give it a five. That's, that is, I think, a definite five. Okay, just a few more. Although I think we probably could do this all day. This should be the Patreon show. Oh, yeah. It's just us rating euphemisms. Uh, pigskin bus. Pigskin is where I'm stuck. Pigskin, Pigs- like, um, pigskin. Yeah. So I guess, 
the penis is the pig skin. Like, well, the skin around the penis is the pig skin, and then the bus is the actual penis, you know, muscle or whatever. No. It's, it's a bus covered in pig skin. Wow. No. For just mental, for just mental optics, I'm going to say a five. That's disgusting. Also, it's not pig skin. It's human skin. I mean, unless you're talking about a condom made of pig skin, which just seems tough. And unless you're, 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 you know, referring to your penis as a hog. So there's. Which I can see that. Yeah. I've heard hog, hogger. Calling it a hog, I guess. But. No, just no, no. I How refuse. about piss weasel? Jesus. That's the thing, too. It's like when you are in the act of coitus, you don't want to think about the other uses of your genitals in those 100%. moments. So it's like, I don't want to know that this is also how you pee. <laughs> And I know yes. it, but it's like, I don't want to be reminded of it. So it's like, if you remind me in the moment that that's all, like, I would be like, okay, well, I don't want to, this is gross now, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Focus on the function at hand. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. P- poon swatter. Poon swatter? Poon swatter. Poon being slang for vagina. Vagina. vulva, if you want to be technical. Um... I, I think if you're into a penis swatting at you, then that's what you're into. And I'm not here to kink shame. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, but also four. That's gross. four. Okay. Now, real quick, we're this is going to be the lightning round. Okay. Lightning round. I'm going to say it. You give it a number. Whatever comes off the top of your head. Okay. Yes. Single-barreled pump-action Bullock yogurt shotgun. Five. Steaming semen truck. Four. Tallywhacker. Four. Wing-dang-doodle. Huh. Five. And Winky. Five. That's disturbing. My Winky. If anybody referred to something as my Winky, it's so infantilizing. Yeah, any any sort of baby talk like that I is disgusting. Now, are you comfortable with us doing a version because there's way less for the woman's uh, for the vagina. Yeah. Diana is very stuck on the idea that men's genitalia is external and women's are internal. And therefore it is impossible for like, they're not on the same level. And so um, it's impossible for her to like, it's much more difficult to describe women versus men because the men's members are described so whimsically. And yeah. I feel like all of her slang words for women's parts are not really. And it's funny. 
it's funny, like, you know, when you read so much of an author's books, you do get a sense of their, like, psychology or their view of the world and all of those things. And it's like, you do get the sense that Diana Gabaldon does not, like, love women <laughs> in, a, in a way that, like, other, not in, like, a, in a sex way, but in a, like, in a general sort of, like, appreciation of the gender sort of way. She does not particularly like women, I think we can say. Okay. I mean, I hope this doesn't get back to her, but also based on a, a, a few things within her books and also that, you know, she has characters who are gay and who are have their own books and everything. Um, and she says she can write gay sex scenes between two men because she is sexually attracted to men. So she understands. But she's like, I can't even imagine what someone would find sexy about a woman. And I'm like, you can't. I'm like, you exist in modern culture and you could you can't imagine the things that a man like that someone would find sexy about a woman. I'm that, like, that's bizarre. Yes, that that segment. I'm glad you you brought that up because my when I read that, I was flummoxed by that because yeah. although it might be a generational thing because she's obviously older than us right mm-hmm. and but also we're a kind of a generation removed from the youngest generation that's coming up and i think one of the most positive things about the generation coming up is that they're just they don't think of sex and they don't think of you know people who's attracted to what to to who and all these things as such a huge deal as it used to be and not to i don't want to denigrate of course anybody struggle with their sexuality that is not what i'm saying but just in the sense of like the discourse is different now where i don't have to say i can't figure out what would make a guy attractive like i know exactly what makes a guy attractive cum gutters period <laughs> If you don't got them, sorry, move along, do some crunches, all right, get a kettlebell, CrossFit anyone, come on. See, now I know, I know, and I can say that, and, you know, I'm perfectly comfortable saying it. And that's not all you find about men attractive, though. Because I don't think Craven has cum gutters, and he is still. (laughs) It's never specified whether Derek Craven has cum gutters or not. No, there's, I understand, like, that's the thing, like, I there's behavioral things, there's physical things, there's, there's those intangibles. Yeah. Now, saying all that, are you comfortable with us doing a rating of the vagina euphemisms with your comfortability with them? Or no? Am I reading them to you and you're rating them or I'm still rating them? I mean, it depends. That's that's a that's a that's a good thing. Like, because my me reading them to you might sound like an attack. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's going to sound like an attack, but it seems like, you know, just to keep things lively. Let's. Yes. How about I read them to you and you rate them on the same scale? Since I rated penises, you rate the vaginas. Great. Because there's always people, whenever you say vagina, and then they're like, the vagina is the internal part. You're talking about the vulva. And it's like, we, I know, whatever, terms change culturally. When I think there is something that, like, Diana Gabaldon also only writes sex scenes from the female point of view. Mm-hmm. And something that I like about romance novels is, you know, most of the time you 
not through the scene you're not sort of like hopping heads which i think could be confusing but like you do get to experience like read a sex scene from the gender that you're not which i think is really interesting and eye-opening and like it certainly was for me when i started reading romance and i really enjoyed that part of it so um yeah but yeah i think diana should maybe talk to somebody about her feelings around women because they're complex yes to say the least (laughs) um all right so i didn't make a list i'm just gonna be looking at the list as we do it so are you ready yes the jj So, same rankings, right? Yeah. To me, that's like a two. I I mean, I don't, I I don't, I don't like it, but I don't hate it. Yeah. I mean, so maybe it's it's a three then. It's a three. I think that like Vijayjay works if you're like joking around with friends and you're talking about it. But in any sort of other like more serious situation, I'm just sort of like, just say what it is, you know. Don't go to the doctor and talk about your VJJ. Right. You should be able to say the the words to your doctor. Um, slit? Five. Really? You know you why? Like because it's not... It, it's dismissive. Mm-hmm. Because anytime somebody, I, I guess you know what the thing is. Because I'm thinking of it from the masculine. Like I'm, you're saying it, but I'm still thinking like if I heard a guy say it, and they were talking about somebody's slit. Like even me saying it makes me feel like a shitty person. So like hole and slit, you think are kind of the same? But yeah, because they're they're not specific. It's just saying that's a slit or that's a hole. And right. it's not being specific that it is a, 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 uh, a, a, a place where, you, you know, all these things happen. Pleasure can be given and, you know, a birth can take place. Like, you know, it's not just a, 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 a barrel. Like, it's not just like a knot hole in a tree, you know? Um, my favorite insult is twat. So what do you think of twat? That's, I guess it's context. Like if you, if you called me a twat, I would laugh unless you were really Mm -hmm. angry at me. So I would say like, I, for whatever reason, I like that better. I would give that a two. I like that better than slit. Poontang. Poontang's funny. Yeah. Uh, So that's a one. I don't Uh, think there's anything gross about Mm -hmm. it. I think it's just like uh, goofy. Lady Garden. I'm not offended by it, but it's way too twee. Yeah. So Sque- that's probably a four. <laughs> Squeeze box. Squeeze box makes no sense. <laughs> Although I've heard that before, but I just, that makes, no, I'm going to give that a five for just making no sense. Uh, bearded clam. Bearded clam is funny. <laughs> that gets a, that gets a that gets a two. Um, it depends. Curtain. It depends if you are somebody who's saying, I think clams are gross, or if you're somebody who's like, I love clams. I guess it all depends. I happen to love clams, so therefore mm-hmm. it's not gross to me. Uh, 
beef curtains slash meat curtains. Don't like it. That's a five. Um, pussy. It's, you know, it's the old standby. Um, I do think it's a little bit coarse. But I will say that when I read a sex scene, it's one that I don't ever stumble over. So yeah. that would be a one, definitely. I think pussy and cock are together as far as like their appropriateness to use. Yeah, because they're know? just dirty enough. Right, but there's something about the word and just like the way it sounds. It just sounds like something fun. <laughs> yeah, know? it does. It sounds like fun and a little bit irreverent, and and I I have no problem with it. Agreed. Um, I know multiple women, adult women, who call it their cookie. No, don't like yeah. it. Don't like because the thing too is that like I have such weird weirdness with food <laughs> that I know I didn't didn't bother me with clam, but um, cookies just they bring up a whole thing for me with sugar content and you know if i eat a cookie it feels like a moral failing so this is just like a very specific thought for me so i'd say five cookie is a five for me um front butt (laughs) front butt (laughs) is funny but so dismissive because it's not a butt front butt is funny god uh but I would never refer to a woman's vagina as a front butt unless I really was going for a hard laugh. And it was somebody who really understood that I respected them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I guess, the- I guess that's a, I guess that's a two. Yeah. Yeah. And so then the final one is, I think it's like the most controversial, but it's cunt. Yeah. I gotta say, uh, this is such a loaded this is, yeah. I'm so glad I wasn't reading this list because um, <laughs> someone would just isolate that and, and ruin uh, you and ruin me uh, <laughs> because I am worth ruining, I guess. I know. Can you imagine anyone caring enough <laughs> to ruin either of us? Exactly. Um, God. So in a romance novel, I do think it's a two. No. In a romance novel, for me, you know, in a romance novel, for me, it's a one. Because it's referred to so much in a romance novel like that, right? Mm-hmm. But in real life, man, I have a real hard time saying that word. Yeah. Because it is, it just seems to me so harsh. And so needless. I don't have the issue with it as much. I don't mind it. Um, I mean, obviously, it's the sort of thing where it's like, yeah, if somebody called me that, like, in anger, I would be upset. But I think I would just be upset in general. But I, yeah, I don't know. I don't have, I get it. And I, I know that there are a lot of people who are really sensitive to it. And I think it's, it's, it's like, obviously, it's fine to be sensitive to whatever you want to be sensitive to. And it's like, I understand it. But for some reason, for me, it doesn't hold that weight. And I get that. And that's the thing is like, that's, that's fine. I think, again, like coming from a, uh, coming from the side of the, of the guy, like, my language is very powerful when it comes to speaking about women right so 
I really don't have a right to I don't want to say I don't have a right to say that word, but like there's just like no reason to say that word. Yeah, it is one of those things where it's like I feel like I would be uncomfortable with men using it in general. Um, But with women, it's like it really depends on the context. Like sometimes you can use it and I have no issue with it. And sometimes I use it. And then there are other situations where I wouldn't. Like the idea of calling a man that as a way to emasculate him, I think is like obviously bad and wrong. And the same thing with calling a man a pussy, though. And I don't have a problem with the word pussy, but I think it's like because of what's the intention behind that word the intention is to be like oh you're acting like a woman and to act like a woman is bad you know yeah so if you if i called a guy a front butt it would just be as it'd be just the same thing right it'd be confusing but and also (laughs) ultimately bad once they (laughs) like untangled it but wow so yeah so i think that was totally exciting I do love that we were like, this is going to be such a quick episode. It's going to be like a half hour. It's been over an hour. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This, this episode could, could stretch way longer as well. I know. That's why I'm like, I don't feel like we're done. We didn't talk about the weird sketches um, or more, but I think, you know. Well, we can talk. Okay. We got to talk about the weird sketches. They're bizarre. They're bizarre. And it's like, I don't want to come down on anyone's artistic ability and it's everything subjective, but it, they were off-putting. <laughs> They're like pencil sketches of like sexual acts. Right. But not sexy at all. And no. yeah, a bit just disturbing and not, and it just had some, it, it's not something you can put your finger on, but it was unsettling. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah it was it was just unsettling in a, in a uncanny valley sort of way it just didn't feel right no it did not feel right now this book is 299 so it's not going to break the bank if you have any interest in it uh you know but i but i by no means say this is like a must read in any capacity well and i also think like this book it's it's kind of funny because I feel like this book for you to get the good information out of this book and like we mentioned like there is good advice in this and there's bad advice in this and I think for you to understand the difference it's like you have to kind of have been a romance reader or already know a lot about sex scenes to be like oh yeah she's correct in that or oh no she's wrong in that so and I think if you are already a romance reader like you already probably understand those the things she's bringing up kind of intrinsically um, so it's like, I don't know necessarily who this book is for. If like this, who if would this get would the most been, out of this book? If this would have been the introductory book that you said, Clayton, let's read this to give you a crash course in romance before we start this podcast. Number one, the podcast would have never happened. <laughs> and number two, I would have been so out of my depth because I, like you said, I wouldn't have had that history of reading sex scenes and then extrapolating what I liked and what I didn't like about them and then figuring out. I mean, I think she did, you know, say something that I had already known, which is all these interactions should be unique. But mm-hmm. it's like anything, anytime you write a scene in anything, it should be unique to that project. That's just a cardinal rule. So I knew it without knowing it. 
Right. So if like if you need things explicitly spelled out to you, then yeah. Get this. But, I mean, whatever. I'm not going to say don't buy the book. If you want to buy the book, buy the book. I don't think it's a necessary read for anyone. No, not necessary. Yeah. But fun for us. <laughs> it was so fun. It was so interesting. Yeah. And I knew the conversation would be good. So so that's that's all we can ask from these books. Hi, my name is Ellen. And I'm Ellen's mom. And together we host Not Your Mom's Romance Book Club, part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Our podcast is basically like having a book club with your gal pal and her mom who thinks she's part of the gang and won't leave you alone. Lame, whatever kidding to a degree i got mom started reading romance and created a romance reading monster but soon discovered that reading steamy scenes with my mother was mm, awkward and i quickly discovered that i enjoyed making her feel awkward about it and thus a podcast was born we operate much like your local book club adding listener insights to the book and reading books almost exclusively voted on by our listeners we have laughed over penny read books cried for an entire episode about an Amy Harmon book, and gotten super awkward discussing a J.R. Ward book. There is no limit to the books we will read, except for the really spicy ones that Ellen won't let me read. With reason. We post new episodes every Monday, and you can find us on social media at Not Your Mom's Rom. Find Not Your Mom's Romance Book Club wherever your favorite podcasts are sold for free. And happy romancing! Do you want to do swoons? Do you have a swoon? I don't really have one. I have a swoon. Okay. So my swoon is the new album from one of my favorite artists, Phoebe Bridgers, put out a new album in June called Punisher. And I've swooned about her before. I've swooned about groups that she's been in. She was in a in a, a group called Boy Genius, which was three really great female musicians got together and did an EP and then she was also in a band with Bright Eyes the gentleman from Bright Eyes and uh, that album was great too but this is her actual sophomore album and I don't know man there's just something about her voice her songwriting her sense of humor in her, in her writing her 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 just Everything, it's just, you know, sometimes musicians just hit you exactly where you live. And I think mm-hmm. she's one of those artists. And this is a pretty big deal. I mean, it's been getting a lot of press, but I would say check it out. Phoebe Bridger's Pun- the, uh, Punisher. It's just really melancholy and sad, but in a um, like an uplifting way. I don't know. It's it's so I'm so bad at describing music. I know. So, uh, but I think she's such a like generation defining artist. Not my generation because I'm too old. But <laughs> for younger people, it's just so cool to see somebody as young as her. I think she's 25, 26, just in in command of what she's doing, and it gives me hope for. The future in in if this is what she's doing now like imagine her two three years from now it's just that's my swoon Aaron, do you have a swoon yeah you maybe think of one so there you yeah. go uh so it is a um doc, like a two-part documentary that is on apple plus i believe called laurel canyon um 
And it is basically just about the Laurel Canyon music scene in the 70s, 60s and 70s, um, where just there was an insane amount of talent concentrated in one place and they made like some of the most iconic music um, in the world. One of them being obviously Joni Mitchell, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Neil Diamond, um, Graham Parsons, uh, The Mamas and the Papas. Uh, the monkeys funnily enough all the the beatles all these people were had houses near each other and were sort of going to each other's houses and listening to each other play uh, and influencing each other and it's just i think you know every once in a while there are these um places and people and time that all converge and really create something magical uh and i think laurel canyon was one of those instances um, and I'm just really interested in I love the music of that era. I love the people there. I can't ever get enough of those stories. I mean, I love Daisy Jones and the Six, which is it takes uh, it's they don't live in Laurel Canyon. They live in Topanga Canyon, but it's like similar. Um, James Taylor, too. It's funny. Uh, there's no uh, interviews to camera. It's all just voiceover and pictures and videos. And so there's just a picture and it's just like um, like. Cass Elliott sitting with Joni Mitchell and James Taylor like listening to someone play the guitar and it's just like that's insane that all those people were just hanging out at like a backyard barbecue uh it's really really well done and really beautiful and if you have any interest in at all in that period or just looking for a really great documentary um that isn't about violence it's a it's a really really good one so it's Laurel it's called Laurel Canyon it's actually on Prime Amazon Prime Ah, uh, okay. Amazon Prime, perfect. So check it out there. Yeah, great. Through well, quarantine, we've just purchased like every streaming service because we're just home all the time. So I'm like, who cares? <laughs> we just need to watch something, so let's just buy it. So it's like I'm very confused now what we have, what we don't have, and how I've watched something. So well, get ready for Peacock. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's only a matter of time before I also have Peacock. You will by the time this is released. You will already have had Peacock. Oh, yeah. Um, I was in a writing group with the wife of one of the executives that created Peacock. And she was telling me that, like, they had all these names. And he brought that name home and said it to, like, his wife and his kids, like, all excited. Like, isn't this a great name? And that her children, like, threw themselves on the floor and were like, that's the worst name we've ever heard. Well, because the, the N- NBC's whole thing is they're the Peacock. Well, I know where it comes from. It's just also like, it's a silly name. It's fine. Who cares? Everything's silly. Who cares? It sounds like a euphemism. I know. You're Peacock. Yeah. But then people are thinking of P. 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 and cock. What would, would have, uh, would Spawn Hammer been a better name for that streaming service? I feel like we're only about six months away from Spawn Hammer being a streaming service. <laughs> Dude, it's only six ninety nine a month. You gotta get Spawn Hammer. <laughs> what do they play? Just, what what's on it? It doesn't fucking matter. It's content you haven't seen yet, so watch it. 
All right, guys. I think we've talked so much about this book. This is enough. Uh, Too much, some would say. Yeah. So don't forget to rate, review, subscribe if you have the time. We really appreciate it. It's how people find us. Uh, email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. Maybe your favorite euphemisms. This could be something we do at the end of every episode is read off people's euphemisms. Uh, you know, no, just thoughts. when you review, sorry, not to interrupt you, but give us a five-star review. <laughs> And in the review, put your favorite euphemism. Yes. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Yes. Do that. that I don't know, excellent. though. We might get kicked off uh, Apple Podcasts for that because that could be like, I would say if you do do that, okay, because it would be so cool if you did it. If you did it, this is how you should do it. Make sure to like star out a, 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 a letter here and there so that we know what it is, but so it's not the actual word. Because I think okay, that's yeah. the only way you could do it. I think you could put spawn hammer because it doesn't. So the euphemisms need to be so. It, they can't Absurd. just be like. You can't just put the C word. You gotta put like a fancy right. one. That's the way to do it. That'll be I mean, so one fun. we haven't mentioned. You can't use any of the ones we've mentioned. No, it's got to be one that you heard that we didn't mention. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be fun. Do that. Or email us. Uh, email us recommendations. Um, we're on Twitter at Learning Tropes, on Instagram at Learning the Tropes. And then, as always, we have our Facebook group, The Learning the Tropes Troop. And then, uh, finally, Learning the Tropes is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you love at frolic.media backslash podcast. Bye, everybody. Bye. Stay safe.